Hello, and welcome to Generation AI, the podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, joined by my insightful co-host, JC Bonilla. Hey, JC. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, artists. You've only read this intro, I don't know, five times, no, four times today, five with the practice, that pilot. So almost got it perfectly, artists there. Almost, my friend. <laughs> I'm trying to do it every single time, so it becomes top of mind for me. Podcasting live, everybody, is such an interesting journey. So what do we got lined up today, artists? So today we're going to drive into a really, really important topic. As the new year starts, we're going to be looking internally and start thinking how AI will impact the workplace in 2024 and how we can be ready for it, how us as individuals can be ready for it. As AI continues to evolve at a breakneck pace, like understanding this necessary skills and tools that you need is really vital for you to stay ahead of the game in AI in 2024. So you're saying today is about AI push-ups, the basic exercise everyone needs to do to keep up with AI. You know, it's interesting that as we think about planning and you start thinking about tools at home and, and with family, we've, we've been doing these basics, I guess, uh, in a push-up life type of thing is of organizing with a family sprint and New Year vibes, productivity, AI vibes, really trying to look at a tool that allows me and my family, specifically me and my wife, to coordinate and kind of set our agenda for the week because it's so repetitive. Artists, I mean, you know, I have little ones. So 90% of what I do is the same, school drop off, pick up when they go to school. And it's so interesting that still I have to either sync schedules with my wife or do it manually. And it's such a trivial thing. And really been looking at AI tools. I have not found a family AI planning tool. There are visualization tools. Today's podcast is not about PMing, but it's so interesting. Looking for that application that tells my family, you're supposed to be doing X because based on your schedule, you cannot do why, so this is how it gets balanced, but it's not there yet. So maybe food for thought artists, next company, you and I, yeah, let's dance. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think personal AI and how it impacts us in the families is, is not there yet. We're looking at it from a productivity in the workplace. That's the, that the highest impact right now that companies are seeing. And, you know, certainly coming to our day-to-day -day usage and family planning, that's going to be kind of a secondary, you know, use case. But what I wanted to start off with is setting the stage a little bit, right, with numbers. And this is something that we've done a little bit before as well, where we start thinking about the impact of generative AI and what we bring in from the market and then how that's going to impact our workplace and productivity in 2024. As it stands right now, according to McKinsey, generative AI has the potential to replace the equivalent of 30% of hours worked in the U.S. So if you think about that, that means that generative AI will be doing the work of the equivalent of 30%. Of human hours. Human hours, right, exactly. The equivalent of 30% of those hours, which is incredible, right? So if you think about it, if you're doing a task today, one third of those tasks will be replaced and AI will do those better. And look at the opportunity there, right? So a bit of my end of year vibes as, you know, the family and I did whatever we did over the end of the year, we're, we're spending a lot of time in the Poconos and it reminds you of all the transactional things that we used to do before technology, after technology. So let's talk about water. While you go into the river, you bring water 
And then, I don't know, three hours later, you have drinking water at home. So with the introduction of technology, plumbing and things of that sort, you know, now it just opens the faucet of water is there. So today, these 30 hours that are basically given back to humans to produce is the interesting nuance because we all think about AI as takes 30 hours of productivity, but the opportunity space is that what happens with the remaining 30 hours? It's not that the productivity drops, is that there's a shift in productivity. And as we think about 30 hours. 30%, so, so it's about one third of the hours. 30%, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah we don't work 100 hours uh, a week. Well, some people do, but. Well, we do, but yes. But it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting opportunity. And I'm hopeful about how this, this redistribution of hours and labor really gets us there. Artists, with that research, something that caught my eye, it's as you start thinking about the quantification hours, the audience that it could impact the most it was very interesting. Not addressing your typical worker, kind of, you know, blue collar worker assembly line where automation seems to be ripe for success. We're really thinking about a college educated white male, white collar type of fellow, right? And this is where this research is saying this distribution of hours or impact in hours would be felt the most. What do you think about that? I thought that was fascinating. It makes a lot of sense, by the way. Yeah, the majority of those tasks will be coming in and be replaced for areas like customer support and law offices and a lot of the areas where we thought white collar jobs are now at risk or at least the replaceability of those components in there. So one thing when you're talking about the stats overall, there's a really interesting survey from CNBC performed in, in late December or mid-December of 2023, where there's some really interesting stats out of that. Essentially, the survey looked at how folks who are using AI right now in the workspace, how they see it, the impact of that in that survey. The sampling size was about 8,000 workers in the US and a significant majority, 72% of the employees using AI in their workplace reported enhanced productivity. So it suggests a positive correlation with AI and tools so this is something that we're talking about. However, there was a generation gap in AI adoption. As, as we can imagine, as we talked about during our last episode, Gen Z and millennials are more likely to use AI in their jobs compared to older generations. So when we look at that, Gen Z, 37% of them are using AI versus millennials, which is 35%, Gen Xers, 25%, and baby boomers at 17%. And if you look at the races, Asian employees, about 41%, Black, 38, Hispanic, 36, and white employees, 23, which is, you know, the opposite of what you think is happening in the workplaces. And, and it's really interesting then when you think about it, it's that there is concern about AI and the impact on jobs, right? Of course, 42% of those employees expressed that they're concerned about AI in their jobs. But out of the people who use AI, 70% plus we're more concerned about it, AI in the workplace, and they're going to replace it. So for those people who are not using AI, the concern is less. However, for those who are using AI, the concern is a lot higher that, that AI is going to replace their jobs, which is incredible because what well, you can look at it in two different ways. I'm curious to, to see from you how you interpret that statistic. The interpretability of statistic lays on the task or where AI, specifically powered by LLMs, thrive and they don't thrive. And I think today as we unfold, we're going to talk about jobs and tools. 
there's something really, really clear. What is the task that we need to do, right? So as I look at these tasks, there are things that AI, it's inherently good at, better than humans, and it should be basically unleashed. Think about the following task. It's much better to teach an AI algo to play chess than to grab a brush and brush your teeth, right? The mechanics, the aspect, there's a simplicity about the humanization of it, grabbing things and, you know, things of that sort, and basically doing algorithmic things, right? So yeah, I'm starting to think about the opportunity of AI in these stats and work placement as the nature of the task where AI thrives versus it's still not there yet, not ready. Mm. And I think that many of us saw, I personally saw, automation, robotics, just the land of opportunity for AI. But is that there? I mean, <laughs> grabbing a pencil, it's a hard task for LLMs. But my gosh, you know, writing 10,000 lines of Python code so that it can fit, I don't know, a machine learning algorithm, very, very, very simple today. And this is where it's kind of honing into that type of audience. Exactly. And one of the interesting things that's come out of that survey is that those people that are using AI are more concerned that they're going to replace. So they're seeing the opportunity and they're seeing the impact and, and how powerful it can be to replace the tasks that they're doing. So that's really interesting that, you know, if you're not using AI yet, you might be thinking, oh, AI is never going to replace the things that I do. However, if you're using it, you're probably more concerned because you can see the potential there and you can see the advances in AI. One other explanation of that could be that the types of jobs that you're using AI for are the ones that AI is really good at right now. Things like customer support and writing and so on and so forth. So that's another area that because AI is really good at that, there's a certain bias there. But when you're around AI in the workplace and how companies are putting programs in place to adopt AI in the workplace, upskilling and retraining will be really, really crucial for being able to compete and for being able to adopt these tools in our new workplace. However, one of the reports that we had mentioned earlier and one of the things that Accenture chief says most companies are not ready for the AI rollout, right? And Accenture is a huge consulting company. However, they think that there's a lack of preparedness for AI rollouts. Most companies are currently not ready to deploy it at scale and it's primarily due to inadequate data infrastructure and sufficient safety controls. We saw it with ChatGPT, how everybody was advised not to use ChatGPT because of data concerns. However, in 2024, that is certainly changing and more and more companies are putting AI adoption as part of their strategic company planning. JC, in your area at VaynerMedia, you're running the data and analytics teams. What are you guys thinking about on generative AI and, and how are you putting guardrails and how are you putting it as part of your strategic planning? It's a really interesting sweet spot where we are today, right? Because I'll give you the Vayner Media or the Vayner X, the conglomerate that oversees Vayner Media. About 2,000 employees, about 16 different organizations and companies. And our legal team kind of oversees this. I'll start with the aspect of legal. There's so many opportunities where AI can start landing today in reducing the cost of production from creators or analysts because the task it's reaped for AI is perfect. The things that we're just talking about, that 30% of the workforce that we just described by Accenture, it's perfect for us. 
but we lack the ability to come and just unleash it because one, legal doesn't understand or hasn't defined the frameworks. There is also compatibility with clients and things of that sort. So if you're in the education space on the marketing performance space, there's still some type of wave that has not come in just because legal controls the gates, the floodgates, if you will. Let's go back to end of the year, New York Times suing Microsoft and OpenAI because they're mining their, you know, gigantic archive of history and they haven't figured out how to commercialize that in New York Times. So maybe something is going to come up for that. These things need to accelerate. They provide a ton of use cases for our legal teams because what is the opportunity? We're ready for it. But our creators do not know how to engage. We don't know how to bring client data. If you're a university working for you, we cannot bring your client data into an LLM and we need to be very cautious. So in that level, the job, the opportunity for AI to do it, in a way, it's paused on standby. It's just a matter of time, artists, and it will happen. The legal frameworks will evolve. Right. Where I see it landing really, really well is a retrospective view of what has happened. So let me do it in marketing performance and switch it to education. We just spent $100 million. Where do we spend it? Which campaigns worked? Which ones didn't? That requires about, I would say, 10 days of business reporting, and it's called basically a monthly report of four different teams. And it's literally a retrospective report. And it looks beautiful. And it counts the many things that have been done, what worked and it didn't work. Education, yield reports, application reports, sources reports, all the type of things that are monthly, quarterly. How we start a morning on a Tuesday, how many deposits arrived, that type of work, it's perfect for technology and AI to basically stand up, produce, visualize, so that the team now can come and start saying, what do we do with X as opposed to how do we invest the time to produce X? Yeah, that's very interesting. And something that we're seeing at Element as well, and we're seeing with a lot of our institutions is we're having conversations with institutions around adoptability and how they think about AI. We're having to do a lot of education first understanding because there's some misconceptions on different levels of AI and different levels of generative AI and where it's being used. Is there data? Is there PII information? You know, there is the, the tools and the large language models that we use. There's things like zero retention policies, no training policies on this data. That's the legal framework. Yeah. Right, exactly. So those kind of terms are going to pop up more and more. So as you evaluate your AI tools or vendors and frameworks, things like no training on my data, zero retention policies, things like obscuring PII or translating PII into anonymized data. Those are the things and the topics that are going to come up more and more. Integrating that AI with your data and having it where it lives, it's going to be really, really important. But you as an individual, so when we shift from a leadership perspective, right, one of the things that as a leader I've done and we're seeing, and, and you should be thinking about it as well, is how do you alleviate the AI-related worries related to job replaceability? And one of the things that we are trying to do is encourage that technological changes is an opportunity for skill development and job evolution rather than a threat to employment. When we think about technology, we think about it as a enabler and as an amplifier in an industry like education and higher education specifically, where we have open positions all over the place, where you know we can't train people fast enough, where we need a lot more people. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's certainly an area where it can help us tremendously. And as individuals, 
we're going to be looking at the skills and the training that's crucial for 2024. And we're going to go up really practical on what are the things that you need to do in order for you to be great at AI in 2024. We're going to be looking at AI literacy first. So let's kind of take it step by step. We're going to be looking at skills first, and then we're going to be transitioning to tools that are important and then how you can use those tools together. So let's start with AI literacy. First of all, you need to understand the language and how these technologies work. You need to understand, just like we said, generative AI, predictive AI. What is it? How does it work? What are large language models? How do they work? How do they work internally? So there is no fear when you produce something, you know, what that's coming from. And you can speak intelligently about it and you can do research and you can follow through on educational material. So you need to have that AI literacy, that AI 101, AI 102 courses and understand it. What are your thoughts on that? In terms of literacy, Understanding what an LLM is in language models per se, right? It's an important thing, but I also want to make sure that if you're a leader, you know, that's something that you need to come in and start looking at deep net and neural nets and understanding all that jazz. Correct. Go for it if you want to, but I'm going to give you two practical examples that I think are really, really important, specifically as training data represents and that, that fear, because that's what we continue to hear, right? Please know that an LLM, it's fantastic at ingesting data. How does it do it? That's the jazz, right? That's the beauty of it. But because of it, we can have a really functional LLM that is agnostic, generic, and safe, thus it's magic, with a corpus of data that will be perfect in terms of legal flaws or pitfalls, in terms of IP or any of those type of things. At the same time, there are products which are going to come and unpack. For example, you can come and buy a membership or a premium version of an LLM that now mines your own data and it stays within the, the guardrails, the boundaries, and it doesn't jump into the generic aspect. So understanding what LLMs do and when it comes to your training data, it's a really important aspect of how you train against it. Right. Right. Just understanding the terminology. What I mean by AI literacy is just understanding the terminology. So things like we talk about generative AI. What does that mean? Uh, a model that can generate new content based on content that it already has. Predictive AI. So predictive AI is very different in that it's making predictions for the future. It's saying, is this thing going to be black or blue? Or does this person, are they more likely to like this thing better or, or another? Or if we take it to admissions and enrollment, is this person going to enroll? Yes or no. So predictive AI is something that's been around for a while, whereas generative AI, it's relatively new and something that we generate more content out of. So when we talk about this, like just the ability for us to understand terms, terminology and how these things work are going to make us better users of that AI. And when you think about it, then the part that's really interesting that kind of follows that when we talk about generative AI is the rise of prompt engineering. So prompt design and prompt engineering is a skill that if you're going to work with these models or if you're going to work with this generative AI tools, you need to be really good at. We're going to talk more in the future episodes around conversational interfaces, but prompt engineering is an area or a skill that as a practitioner, as somebody who is going to be using AI in 2024, you really need to be good at. You need to be able to provide the right input and the right prompts to these models in order to get the right output or the desired output that you want. And these models are black boxes at the end of the day. So you need to understand, first of all, I don't know, not deeply how they work, but 
you need to understand and have some frameworks. And that's where prompt engineering comes around. Things like, you know, what's an intent and how do I write something that has context in it and direction and so on and so forth. So prompt engineering, for those of you who have not had any knowledge of it before, it's a super important skill. If you don't take anything out of it, I would say prompt engineering is one of those things that you need to invest in right away. Okay, so one more. Another one that's really important when you think about it, all of these models, they revolve around a content and their reasoning engines. So at the end of the day, they need context in order to provide you with relevant information. So if you think about it, you're giving it an email and you're saying, here's some context. I'm artist, I'm a CEO of LMA 451. Here is a bunch of context. Here is my education. Here's a, a bunch of other stuff. And write me an email. Uh, or write me an ad for X, or write me an email to a student who I'm going to recruit. So having AI content curation is going to be really important as a skill going forward. So understanding how to put content that the AI can understand and parse, just like search engine optimization, AI content curation is going to be important as well. So think about that as a skill, right? How do you curate content that is AI ready and these tools can use? We talk about it all the time at Element when we have our bots, our AI bots. It uses content for your knowledge bases, but sometimes that content in the knowledge bases is not always the best. We're scraping it from websites or some documents, but those documents are very convoluted and they're not succinct and they're not clear. So when you're writing AI content for AI consumption, you have to be a lot more concise. You have to have certain components of it the right way. So that's an important skill that you need to develop in 2024. All right. As we continue, another area to expand your skills, if you're going to work with AI in 2024, is around automation. So we can write all day long prompts on ChatGPT. However, the power of it becomes when we start using more automation around it and start putting tools together that are going to automate our workflows day to day. So if you're a marketer or higher education marketer or leader, or if you're a practitioner, tools and automation tools like Zapier or Make.com can automate a lot of those processes for you. So take a step back and think about what are some of the workflows that you do. You take a topic or you have an event or you have a Zoom recording, let's say for a webinar that you did or an information session. You need to transcribe that, put it into smaller pieces of content, publish it into social, write an email, follow up about it. All of those pieces can be automated with some of these platforms that you can glue them together. So think about Zapier and Make.com and, and kind of automation is a big one. So there's going to be an opportunity for AI to help us on tools, generic tools, the content, data analysis, and also productivity. But there's a more myth aspect that you have presented. And I would say how it works, many of these LLMs work out of a technique called reinforced learning that it's based out of incentives and stages. That's why prompt engineering benefits a lot. So the prompt says no, and then it comes back and it learns and it gets better. So the aspect of the conversation, the iteration of this is what I like, it's how the algo and the prompt and the input becomes better. But really understanding the outputs that I want to do an email, I want to do a LinkedIn post, I want to do a picture, I want to do X, Y, Z, it's really, really important. Knowing that if I wanted to do a 
Facebook post or an email of 300 characters or a comment to a student that is going to go into a text that is very, very different. And basically prompting for the output changes significantly. So as a leader, we're going to walk you through these different stages. Think of the following. What is the incentive that I provide to the prompt so it becomes better? But I need to know what is it that I'm doing because doing a text or a LinkedIn post or obviously a visual, it's so different. And the prompt and the input will have to be different. So let's walk through these artists. So prompt engineering is a skill that everybody needs in 2024. So it's something that if you haven't taken a course on prompt engineering, mm -hmm. there's a lot of courses out there. I've done a course for prompt engineering for higher education marketers. It's through Enrollify. It focuses exactly on this thing. So if you haven't taken that course or if you need to take something, please go ahead and, and understand and take a course on prompt engineering. It's going to open up your mind around what are some of the frameworks on how to work with these tools. And all of these tools rely on prompt engineering at the end of the day. So that's a really, really good point that JC is making is that you're going to understand how to learn this. So if you don't know that, that's something that you should start thinking about. We're going to go through some tools right now in order for you to start thinking about, okay, what am I missing? Because at the end of the day, we are experiencing AI and generative AI through the tools that we're using every day. And if you're going to get better at it, you have to practice, practice, practice. You have to use it and, and practice, practice, practice every single day. But let's go through the tools, right? When we think about AI tools like general purpose bots, the first one that comes to mind and the first one that you should get really good at and use every single day is ChatGPT, which is one of the most important tools. And it's going to come through in a lot of different sectors or sections. I use it for a lot of different things, but most people use the free version of ChatGPT. However, we highly, highly encourage that you use the paid version, which opens up the ability for things like uploading files, using vision, creating images, and even doing data analysis and using some of their most powerful models like GPT-4, which gives you better output and better content. You can also think about using BARD, which is Google's generative AI, and they're updating that. And this is great for content writing. It connects really nicely if you're in the Google ecosystem with your Gmail and YouTube, and it's able to kind of pull images from there. The other one that we talked about during our last episode was Perplexity AI. Perplexity.ai is a great tool for research, synthesizing content, and actually getting the references to the material, to the source material. It is amazing for doing research. It's probably one of the better tools out there, and it allows you to follow up with questions and other things. JC, what tools do you use every day, or what's your favorite general AI purpose tool they use? Definitely chat GPT, the paid version, because of the all the things you just mentioned, right? The ability to come and do data analysis, create these custom bots, and taking the analysis that I need to the next level. One thing on chat GPT, I have a team of about 80 analysts around the world. There's two paid versions in my team, and there's about 80 free versions. There's the aspect of everyone needs a free version because what they're doing in as an organization, you need to learn where do you need to come and start basically investing or not investing. As a Google shop, both at NYU and VaynerX, we're basically incentivized to start making BART work and what's going to come with Gemini because it's natural right in the voice of JC after being exposed to, I don't know, 
7,000 emails that I may be producing on a quarter, right? And it's just basically the opportunity space to train against that. And Perplexity AI, just basically want to double down on that one. So it's a really, really good opportunity for you to be learning, which then takes me to my last general purpose AI tool, which I don't know, I've never heard. I use it a ton because as an immigrant, all my family is abroad. What happens with abroad people, they use WhatsApp. And WhatsApp has a feature that allows you basically to mine Bing using the chat GPT LLMs and modules. And it's really interesting because the way it searches, it's a very different experience. It gives recommendations. So for example, on end of the year, I was looking at what to do in Philly or Poconos and things of that sort. And the way search was using that type of thing. So the AI power search engines in WhatsApp, it's what I'm using a lot. Got it. So at the end of the day, you're going to use the tools that you're going to be more familiar with and, and you're going to tend towards those. But ultimately, ChatGPT is one of the better ones. Bard, of course, if you're in the Google ecosystem, if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, Copilot uses the same models. So if you're in, in that ecosystem, perhaps you have some better integrations there. So from general purpose, now you go to more specific purpose tools content creation, and we're going to start by content writing. One of the original tools that we used at Element around writing AI content was Jasper.ai. Jasper.ai was really good because it put together a lot of prompting techniques that you did not need to know how to prompt. However, it will templatize your input in a way that makes sense to you. And then behind the scenes, you would uh, kind of inject a lot of those components into a prompt that makes sense to the LLM and produce the best content for you in a particular framework for marketing or for whatever else. So in the beginning, Jasper was amazing to use because it, it was able to do all those and we were able to access some of the early LLMs. As ChatGPT came around, Jasper kind of had to pivot a little bit and now it's it's kind of evolved, but it is still an amazing tool for organizations that want to share writing environments with their teams and want to write content for marketing, blog posts, social media, and so on. Jasper is an incredible tool for content orchestration. So the content needs to be multimedia. So I need to write an event post and it has to go into you know, social media that looks like, I don't know, Facebook, LinkedIn and X, Twitter, right? Knowing that the character changes, what you can do and how images play out is fantastic. Second thing, it's the stages of production. I need to send to a copywriter, a senior copywriter, and that evolution. And then knowing that also the stages of production is, is ready for production, is ready for posting, and all this type of thing. So the canvassing aspect and the way that it interacts with teams and the stages of production, fantastic on Jasper. So something that probably media companies and content creation companies should have on their tech stack and play with. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of higher education institutions, if your school says no to chat GPT, they might not be as familiar with Jasper or another tool that we don't use here at Element, but I'm familiar with, and, and it's very popular. It's called copy.ai. So copy.ai is very similar to Jasper. However, it provides some workflow capabilities in there that you can kind of build in and you can transform content in different ways or if there's an editorial way of integrating it it also integrates with some of your crm components so you can upload data and do things like creating content for multiple rows of csv based on the person information and so on and so forth so take a look at copy ai as well now when we move from text generation to image generation 
There's three tools, actually four tools, but I'm going to talk about three that are specific and then one that's a little bit more generic. The first one is Dolly 2 through ChatGPT Pro. So Dolly 2 is an amazing image generation tool that requires very natural inputs. And it's something that probably if you use ChatGPT views. The second one is Midjourney. Midjourney is probably the leading AI tool right now for generating amazing quality images. Their latest version, Midjourney 6, the quality of those images are just incredible. And the third tool is Leonardo.ai. Leonardo.ai is a platform that gives you access to a lot of other underlying models. So if you don't want to go specifically to Dali or Midjourney, you can use Leonardo.ai. They've also introduced some video generation there as well recently. So those are the three platforms that I would say for image generation are probably way ahead of anything else. Do you use any of those, JC? Yeah, um, organization, it's all into Midjourney. Dali has had some feedback that it tends to really look AI driven and it's starting to become better. Whereas mid journey, sometimes you can really say, wait, who did this? Right. So it feels that the newer algos tend to capture more the humanistic, less futuristic style, much, much better. And, and just to be clear, right. What we're going to hear in content creation is the orchestration that sometimes content needs to be multimedia, just the text or just the image, but putting it together, let's say copy in terms of the, uh, of image it's still in a way not there. So you, you're going to need in your tech stack, multiple of these to orchestrate, let's say a whole marketing production. And we're going to talk about audio. We're going to talk about multiple things like that. But remember, it's what do you need to do? The output and then the tools that are basically doing that work best. I wanted to touch base on the fourth image generation, but it's not just image generation. It's one of the things that you should, like, if you're, you know, a marketing person or if you're not in marketing at all or just need any designs, it's a general purpose design tool called Canva. Canva has been an online design platform and it has introduced Canva Magic, which is an amazing co-pilot that allows you to generate PowerPoint presentations, that allows you to generate ads, content, images directly through Canva and modify those through Canva as well. So if you haven't looked at Canva, I would highly suggest you look at it. It has some incredible AI-driven features in there, both from an image generation, also from a design perspective as well. We know a lot of our partners, for example, use Canva, and then they've made a huge push to enter the higher education education market as well. So there is a lot of incentives for Canva to kind of enter and provide those at a, at a very reasonable price as you start using it for higher education institutions. All right. So switching focus now, all you, what are we thinking about video or audio tools? One of the interesting things happens with audio, and this is where artists, I'll let you talk about these two tools. I'm going to talk about the audio generation tools that are actually embedded in native tools such as social media, TikTok, Facebook, and whatnot. That's where we spend all the time. We are spending time with, let me play the song or give me a version of a song, right? And it's basically native platform context creative that leverages their audio tools. However, when the jingle needs to be new, when the production needs to start basically looking at the generative aspect of it, I think 11 Labs and Suno are the tools there. You want to talk about them? Yeah. So if you're thinking about how do I generate text to audio, 
if you have a piece of text and you want that to be, you know, translated or you want to create audio out of it, similar to how you would have a voiceover artist or, or somebody when you send a script to them over a video, now you can do that internally. You can just use Eleven Labs and they have some amazing voices in there. They have some amazing folks that there are synthetic audio voices. You can also train it to use your own audio or your own voice. So you can just enter text and it will generate audio based on your voice as you train it. So this is great for if you're a leader or a president or someone else and you're doing a video or you're doing an audio message or a call-in campaign, like you can do all of these things by generating text to audio. The other interesting thing about Eleven Labs is the ability for it to do voice dubbing. So you can speak in in English and then you will translate your voice in another language. And that's another great way for you to think about accessibility and how you send messages to your audiences uh, and your leadership sends messages to audiences. Now you can tell all your students that they've been admitted in Mandarin, in Turkish, in Arabic. And also it does accents, right? So you can start, you know, English, British accent versus a Midwestern accent or Australian accent. So, or maybe you can do a Costa Rican, New York accent. You end up with mine. Mm, I don't know what that sounds like. Like me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What is this Suno AI? I don't know it. Suno AI is a music generator. What happens there? So so this is a tool that I've, I've been playing around for the past week or so, and I figured I'd want to introduce it in here. Suno AI is a music generator. It actually generates songs, not just, you know, the music itself, but it generates the actual audio and, and vocals as well. So you can also give it your own kind of lyrics and then it will generate that song as well for you with music in the background. So try it. It's really amazing. I I had an incredible time. If you want to impress somebody, try some Sono AI, but it's more of a play component right now. The tools that we use in our stack or that I use every day in my stack are Eleven Labs and another tool which we use for editing audio and then video and for recording as well is called Descript. So Descript is a huge, huge part of our AI stack and AI tools. So if you're doing anything like audio editing, video editing, capturing audio, recording audio, everything is on the cloud, it's very collaborative, but it also can do things like AI removing ums and ahs and regenerating audio, transcribing things automatically so you work with text. Amazing tool, we use it every single day. All right, so that's enough on the content creation. We can talk about it all day, but... (laughs) We want to switch focus and talk a little bit about the data and analytics components. And and the first one there, you mentioned it before, you use ChatGPT and the data analysis tool in ChatGPT Pro every single day. Tell me a little bit more about that. ChatGPT, simple, plain, right, would allow you to drop in any type of table, schema or schema-less, meaning you can go in Excel and grab your table, copy, paste, literally, and basically ask the questions that you would ask, give an average, a summary, how many of X do we have? And interact with your table in a semantic way. So tons of applications there, and you don't have to pay for it. When you pay, you start getting the access to the plugin, so you can now load a file. The sizes increases. One of the interesting things that we do a lot in our company, semantic analysis, you load 17,000 comments. Is this negative or positive, right? Uh, tell me what they're talking about, the summarizes. So you start getting a bit on the text mining, still simple analytics, summary stats, 
And it gives you the opportunity to understand what has happened without needing to read thousands of comments. The third application that is really, really fun in chat GPT for data analysis, it's the startup of a model. So if I have time series data, you can copy paste it, you can load it with a plugin and you can say, give me a forecast. It learns the structure of the data. You don't have to say this is weekly or monthly. It kind of knows because if you built a model, you know, you need to know the seasonality, the aspects of how it's aggregated and whatnot. And it makes these assumptions really, really well. So you can start with a really interesting line of how the model should look like. And then can you give me the Python code, the R code, whatever you need so that the data scientists or the models then take it to the next level. And it's been a gigantic acceleration because, for example, let me give you something really obscure that we do a lot. Time series forecast, but in, in this case, is seasonal and it has external conditions. So give me a sorry max model for this time series. Literally, you ask for it and it gives you that as opposed to a Ritma or an Ritma X, which are all different models. So the job of the data scientists went from 100 hours of model sampling to just the tuning of one. And it's a gigantic, gigantic time again. So that's an incredible use of ChatGPT for data analysis. And one of the things that we're leveraging a little bit at Element, but we're not leveraging quite a bit, is exactly the forecasting components of it. Essentially, it's writing Python code in the background and it's doing all that work for you. You just tell it in plain English and it's doing the, just the data science as if a data science was writing Python in the background for you. Speaking of tools that have taken a little bit more of an advantage on writing better analysis is with this tool called Hex. Hex is an amazing platform that we have now starting to use over the past year. It connects to a lot of your data sources. And think about it as a, if you're doing data science work, or if you're doing work, for example, if you were like, okay, I need to open up a, a Python notebook. Think about this as a, as a canvas where you can start visualizing data and you can start working with transforming data in, in a natural language interface. So Hex Take a look at it. They've introduced some amazing new features in there. The third one, it's more general purpose tools that we use every single day. These are productivity tools. There's two of them, Notion and Coda. Artis and I have a PhD on Coda. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone who has gone as deep as you and I have on Coda, my friend. <laughs> so it's an amazing tool, Coda, that we use a lot at Element for things like creating documents that are not just documents, but they are a combination of text, images, tables, applications. They're interactive. They feed data from different places. So it's kind of a general purpose canvas for you to create, you know, documents and to create many little applications and, and even store your content. Notion is very similar. It's a little bit more consumer friendly. Notion, we use it for sharing content, but they're both very similar. However, they both introduced AI tools where they're helping you create content with these AI tools, helping you create things like formulas, helping you create summaries, and you can create little mini applications of AI and workflows within these tools. So it becomes very powerful when you have now uh, a workflow, you can actually build them in those tools. So again, start thinking about how you can use these tools. The last area that we're going to touch very briefly on is again on the productivity side. Of course, all of these are productivity tools, but when our meetings day to day, one of the things is around note taking. So here at Element, we use a tool called TLDV and it does meeting recording. It will transcribe that meeting for you. It will record the meeting. It will pull out the most important information 
you'll pull out to-dos and action items that were mentioned during the meeting. And you can now go ahead and share that with everybody that you need to. So that's a very powerful one. There's another one called Fireflies that we tried, but we haven't, you know, we're, we've kind of moved more towards TLDV. So JC, do you use any of these tools for your day-to-day meetings? We were big time users of TLDV. Actually, there's a really interesting hack that you get the summary of the highlights and you bring it to chat GPT and you can also start kind of asking what happened and summarize it into three lines. And there's all these other things that we're doing. But going back to our earlier point, legal, not comfortable with the meeting recording aspect, specifically as we talk about clients. So that is right now on pause until our ability to come and record meetings and bring in TLDV because it shows up as a meeting attendance in a legal friendly way. So forthcoming and more, more, more for us to do. But it's the promise is incredible. Do you know that 17 people attends to a, a meeting where two people talk and the remaining 15 are kind of like just there for five minutes? You know what that means? That those 15 don't have to come and just get the meeting notes as it relates to them in a, I don't know, 30 second, nice to read memo. That's really the opportunity here. And that's what TLDV and many tools like that, in like the aspect of meaningful meetings, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the extensions that we saw popping up and very popular in Google Calendar was the ability to add a cost. How much is it costing the company or the institution to have this meeting based on who the people were in that meeting? And of course, the administrator or somebody has to set up kind of, you know, compensation and salaries, but somewhere else, but essentially will calculate the time of the meeting and what's the cost to the organization of that meeting, which is amazing because death by meeting is a thing. <laughs> That's a thing. I, I, or, or, or as I like to tell my parents, when they ask me, what do, I, what do you do for a living? I go to meetings. I literally get paid to go to meetings the entire day. So don't remove meetings because then I don't know what to do. Literally, my professional <laughs> identity and self goes to the drain because I don't know what to do. But anyway, beautify.ai, gamma.app. What, what are these? Presentation slides? What's happening with AI here? Yeah, beautiful.ai. I've been a big fan of Google Slides for a while. I used to use Keynote. The shareability of Google Slides won me over. But over the past six months, I have used beautiful.ai. It's this online presentation platform that allows you to build really amazing presentations. It has a lot of great templates and, and you can build great slides with it. It allows you to very quickly add data. It's dynamic. So they've introduced a lot of AI components where you can say, build me a slide for X, and you will actually go ahead and, and do that for you automatically. Gamma.app is something very similar where it's building whole presentations for you based on your prompts as well. And you can share them very easily. I've used it a couple of times. However, I've, I've kind of stayed a little bit more traditionally focused on beautiful.ai because it's a more traditional slide-based approach, whereas gamma.app is a little bit different, but it's an amazing platform, an amazing tool where you can also upload your own content as well. And it will pull content from your knowledge base and, and put those presentations together. I see, I'm going to throw a number, but I, I would say 800 presentations a year, right? where 50% of them are done by professionals, marketers, and those presentations are ridiculous, the best. The remaining 50% are done by students. So this is where Beautiful AI come in. I can tell you when the student has done the presentation or they use Beautiful AI or an AI generation engine. 
because the ability to basically have the perfect balance of the narrative and the visuals. And that, that's what happens. If you're listening to this and if your slides look like 172 words, your slides are bad. <laughs> 1990 type of slides. Today, the slides are basically a backdrop of a narrative and doing them in a balanced way. Oh my gosh, it takes time. So beautiful AI and these type of tools, they do it so well for you. It just basically gives you that scaffolding so you can come and customize or take it all the way to basically do the right problems and whatnot. But I can tell you when the student has done it versus they are enabling at the end of the day, I don't care. It's about how do you defend your thesis, your ideas, and you use slides to do that. So more beautiful AI for students, all in. If you want a book recommendation to basically highlight what JC is saying, it's a brand new book. I'm actually finishing it right now. It's called Simply Put, Why Clear Messages Win. It's an amazing explanation of simple, more direct is better. So if you're a marketer, if you're somebody who is in leadership and are communicating with messages, are writing messages, simply put, I would say I'm three quarters through it right now. And it's given me the language to communicate to my teams why having something a little bit simpler, more direct, it's a little bit better. So that's a little book plug there. We didn't talk about books. We just talked about skills and, and AI. It's like, who, who reads books nowadays anyway, right? Artists, we need to get our legal team to come and help us. We're giving plugins to books, technologies. I don't know what is happening here with royalties because my friends, we're getting none of that. So got to get our legal team on behind this. Well, we hit it big. I think we're going to have to come back and put ads on these. So, Artists, I, I want to introduce the last one so you can explain it because this is the tool that I know what it can do, but I have not unlocked its true potential. But I know how you have leveraged Zapier, the ability to come and automate, integrate, and orchestrate anything. When I say anything, there's a SAP for that, whether it's connecting your, I don't know, Instacart to your Google Sheet that maybe visualizes on your refrigerator. There's a SAP for that. And I know that me as a bicycle professional individual, this is where I'm lacking. I have not unlocked the power of the zaps in my lab. So what is Zapier and why is it such an interesting tool for automations and productivity? If you're a marketer and if you're a leader or if you're somebody who's creating content and a data person, so if, if you're working with your CRM or any other platform, you need to create and send data from one system to another, and you need to transform that data and you have to have workloads. Traditionally, these are called integrations, but Zapier is what's called an automation platform. So essentially, it has 6,000 or 7,000 plus connections to different platforms and different products. Element 451 has, you know, is one of those apps that we already have in there. But essentially what it does, it connects to these different platforms and then it can send data back and forth. While doing that, it can transform and you can have different workflows happen within the platform as it does that. So essentially, you can take a lead now from your Facebook, you can send it to uh, OpenAI, you can write a personalized message based on what that person inputted on that Facebook information. You can send that data now to your CRM and your CRM can call Zapier again and create an audio file. So you can incorporate all of these incredible workflows directly within Zapier. It's an incredible platform that can integrate with a lot of these AI platforms individually. 
And the reason why we also put it in here is Zapier can now generate these workflows based on prompts. So you can just write a prompt of what you want to do, and you will create a whole workflow for you based on that prompt specifically. So if you're not an automation expert or you don't know how to think about it or start, just write that prompt, just tell it what you want, and it will scaffold and it will create that for you, which is incredible. I've seen interesting zaps, and I think that it's no joke that the potential of bringing Zapier to automation in the workplace, it's limitless, that take you out of Slack inputs that when they come in context, it triggers some type of workflow that is outside Slack and eventually comes back to an HR project management tool. It's fascinating how it happens. And again, it's the glue that keeps things together and is happening behind the scenes. So there we have it, productivity. Well, I had a lot of fun going over these tools. We can geek out and talk about tools all day long. But just as a recap for everybody, as they're going into 2024 and as you're preparing to get your skills to the next level and become an AI expert or become very fluent in AI literacy, try to start thinking about, number one, how do you get yourself to understand AI, get yourself to understand the terminology and kind of how the systems work, and then try to learn how to work with these systems, right? Just try prompt engineering or learn prompt engineering, and then practice, 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 practice and experiment with all the tools that we gave you today you're going to be in a place much different than someone who is doing their day-to-day -day work but is not using AI, right? As you start using these tools, you're going to start thinking, okay, what can I do better now? How can I automate things? How can I curate stuff better? So it gives you the superpowers to start thinking at a different level, removing menial tasks, but at the same time becoming more productive and allowing you to become an editor rather than somebody who is crafting things. Now you can produce a lot more stuff and edit that down to only the most amazing things that you need because AI can do a lot of that stuff for you. And the tools are incredible and they're only gonna get better in 2024 as we enter a year where AI is going to become something of a pillar in our workplace and organizations are going to demand that you become AI literate. An artist and everyone who's listening, if you feel that this list is overwhelming and oh my gosh, I'm barely scratching the surface with ChatGPT and just unloaded 16 other tools. Yes, 16 other tools to make your life better, more productive, but the mindset, the framework they need to have as you approach all the things that you do is very simple. You do a number of things a day, call it 81 things a day. Out of those 81, five, two or three of them, they seem to be repetitive. Where can you allow technology? When can you allow AI to basically take over that task and do it in your behalf? And there are tools that will do it better than the other. That's the mindset, whether it's an email, whether it's an image, whether it's a sound, whether you need to translate to Korean or Bulgarian, there's a tool for you today. And get on it because, as artists just said, if we just cover 16 or so, tomorrow there's going to be 25. But it's the mindset that basically allows you to come and say, oh, now I know how to press the buttons so I can benefit from that use case that this tool has produced. Artists have enjoyed the conversation. So many more things, and my gosh, I'm going to go start trying some of these things specifically on audio. So thank you for those recommendations. 
Of course. Thank you, JC. And for those of you who are listening and like this podcast, please go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe. We're dropping every Monday or Tuesday every week. So please subscribe and like us. Subscribe, like us. Five stars. Five stars. Nothing but five stars. You can also find more at generationaishow.com. Thank you, everybody. Till next time. Bye, everybody.